Hi, I'm Joe Lynch, director of such cinematic classics as Wrong Turn 2, Knights of Badastum, Everly, and of course the new film, Mayhem. And when I'm not masturbating to Sasquatch porn, I'm listening to Nightmare Junkhead. Ooh, it feels so good. In and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that to this day is a Dupain member of the Mary Ellen Trainer Fan Club. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, Death Sember continues as we try and stave off the aging process and come to terms with the inevitability of getting older as we imbibe 1992's Death Becomes Her. And you don't have to have drank from the fountain of youth to listen to our show, Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, we'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your stomach hole. That makes sense. That makes sense. I should have seen that coming. Of course, you can also find us out on social media. We are on Twitter at Nightmare Junk, on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead, and of course, it is on that Facebook page where we have an events tab, which again leads to... Shenanigans! And eternal shenanigans. And as this episode is releasing on Friday, December 11th, Screenland Armor, they're taking care of you all indoors. Out, well, no longer outdoors. But virtually. Virtually. <laughs> and Two the, damn Toros to be outdoors. We, we've hit that in the, uh, the atmosphere. And Friday, our latest Friday Night Fright, if you're in the Kansas City area... Mm-hmm. And I should say why we're we're looking weird now, because technically we're going to throw this out up on a YouTube page. You are going to actually see our mugs here. This is all Genius McGee's idea. My apologies. But Merry Christmas. If you are in the Kansas City area, of course, our latest Friday Night Fright is going to find us breaking all the rules mm-hmm. of which there are technically only three. But oh, good. <laughs> but yeah, that's a lot of caca. We're going to be watching Joe Dante's Gremlins and the significantly better sequel Gremlins 2, the new batch. Celebrating its 30th year of horror, in fact, made it all the way to the championship round of this year's Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament. Because it's Gremlins 2. Was only beaten out by Friday the 13th. So at least it went out, you know, in a great way. But this is going to be one of my first times, I think actually the first time I'm seeing it on the big screen. Oh, awesome. I love it. I remember seeing it in the big screen. I don't know if they're going to show the Hulk Hogan version or if they're going to show the uh, home version. The fact that it's Paul Bartel that is also talking to... Hol- Part two, I will agree. I think it's a better film than Gremlins, mm-hmm. but Gremlins is a better Christmas movie. Oh, yeah. Gremlins is a better Christmas movie, but... They serve different purposes. Gremlins 2 is a better movie. Oh, no. Come on out and check it out. And, of course, then, next Friday Night's Fright. Oh, goodness. <laughs> this one has become a staple. Uh, whether you've been naughty or nice... You're probably gonna get punished. Yeah, you know what happens. When, you know what happens Friday after next, Billy. You better run. <laughs> I we we once when we hosted this, we tried to recreate a little bit of that scene because you actually had that shirt that just looked like you came out of a mm-hmm. Christmas coma. <laughs> We're talking, of course, the one and only Silent Night, Deadly Night. Punish. That okay. That have to. But my nowhere go self promotion, but the. Our Silent Night, Deadly Night commentary 
that we did way back in the day. That's one of the first ones we put out, I think. I think it's one of my absolute favorite commentaries we've ever done. Well, there you go, then. I, I, I think I, I, it's just... It tickles me the fact that we like turned Billy into this like monosyllabic punish creature. Punish? Right? Oh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. So, oh no. Oh, it's flooding back now. All we, the memories we there. Blamed the Catholic Church for everything. We held them accountable. Yes, we did. I think, and it, it's just funny. I think that's. I, I think this holiday season. Go back to listen to our Silent Night Deadly, or if you come out. Listen to it too while you're. And, but I'll tell you, address more of the mic than them at home there on, on just for that to make sure for ah, audio listening. Yes. Yeah, because I want to make sure it's audio first here, folks. Yes, yes, yes. Now, of course, indoors, we do have some repertory screenings going on as well this weekend, including Donnie Darko, mm -hmm. which has always been a complicated film, but we were just talking about Patrick Swayze a few minutes ago. Playing against cast in this and type. Playing really against cast and type. Most definitely. This shit wouldn't fly at the roadhouse. No, it would not. Uh, screening of Wonder Woman, which ge gearing up for the, the the sequel here. See it in the theater. Absolutely. And of course, this is a movie that is going to be a first time viewing for me. Love Actually. I love Love Actually. Love Actually is so fucking good. I know. I'm glad I you know. get to see it. Oh, no. It's, I it's a Bummer jam. It's like some of the stories end great, some of them end bummers, but I fell in love with that movie. Here's the thing I don't like about that movie. There's a lot of fat shaming going on in that movie, and they call the secretary fat numerous times. She is not fat. She is mwah. She is wonderful. And like, uh, Now I know what to look for when I go into the film. I love this movie. I truly I, do. I remember I hosted it one time, and I, ha I made signs like, hello, my name is Genius McGee. To me, you're perfect. Like, this movie is... Love Actually is great. And it's a classic one of, and I've seen that. Like, I know all the bits and pieces. You're going to love Bill Nighy. Billy Mack. You're going to love Billy Mack. Of course. Of course I, I am. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Well, save your energy, though, because then the following Friday, not only will there be a Friday Night Fright with Silent Night, Deadly Night, but our sixth annual Christmas with the Nerds is back. Oh, holy shit. It's going to be great. Three holiday-themed films, but the lineup is not revealed until we unleash each film. And one of them is a first time for you. One's going to be a first timer for me. One uh, is one I haven't watched in a while, but is fondly remembered. Same. And another one is kind of a contemporary Christmas classic. Same. So I am looking forward to it. Of course, uh, that is going to be on Friday, August, uh, August to December 18th. <laughs> but then every day is Christmas. On the 12th, we have our latest again. If you can't come out indoors and what have you virtually, we're going to have our latest shutter shutout. We're asking not even a question where we're just celebrating. Tis the season to be fa la 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 holiday horror as it is. And we're going to be streaming two films off of shutter. All the Creatures Were Stirring, mm -hmm. Holiday Horror Anthology, and, oh boy, it's, it goes by many a names. Dial Code, Santa Claus, Game Over, Deadly Game, 3615. You will know it as Deadly Games on Shudder, so we are doing both of those as a double feature, and of course, those are streaming on Shudder. It is available. They have a number of seven-day codes if you don't already have it. That is free, mm -hmm. but if you would like some exclusive content, including a customized... Pre-show, mm -hmm. intro, 
trailer reel and controversial post-film discussion. See what happens when Bonnie Tyler meets Michael McDonald. <laughs> All you have to do is become a member of the Screenland film family by heading over to patreon.com slash Screenland. And of course, that is just the tip of the tier. They have a number of things to offer you all. But if we're talking film family mm-hmm. and we're talking Patreon. A bellies. Our latest Patreon pally here. And our latest cat that just joined us here is a podcaster himself. In fact, multiple shows, which I always appreciate because as someone genius that might be the hardest working man in the podcast business. Yeah. Yeah, I would would agree. There's a a couple of shows I do. (laughs) Um, So does Brian Stitcher. Brian, thank you, number one, for joining our film family. But number two... Uh, I want to give a couple of the shows a shout out. Number one, the Horror Happens podcast. Excellent. In fact, I listened to their latest episode talking all about 1988's The Blob. Oh. John Carpenter's They Live. Oh. And Alec Alex Winter's Freaked. Freaked. Yes. We got to do the... I love Freaked. One of these days, next year, 2021, we're going to do an episode on Freaked. I'm all about it. And they also had some good reactions. But what I love with their show is like anyone that I enjoy... The chemistry between the host and just in terms of how they react, how the interactions go. But then they also have one called Action Happens, the Action Happens podcast of which they run into action films. So is it like the media rewind to, to the, the Nightmare, Nightmare Junkhead? Junkhead? Yes. Yes. But they're late. the one that they I listened to with the Action Happens, they were talking American Ninja and American Ninja 2. Ooh. And Brian, I too, grew up on... You know, the Canon Films logo. The dude. Show Kazuki was my ninja. I mean, I grew up on that. So I love it's the similar similar taste mm-hmm. draws people together. And he was very kind, said, you know, he really enjoyed the podcast. He's a listener for life. Brian, I am as well for the horror happens. But as always, thank you, man, for for listening. And I hope you enjoy some of the content. Of course, uh, you're going to be hearing my thoughts on Lost Ho- Lost Highway today on the i've seen that challenge which i'm still trying to figure out what i saw i haven't seen that because i i saw I, even the trailer made me confused and i was like I, I don't know if i want to be confused right now all i can say is um gary Busey. hey there you go <laughs> you had my interest now you got my curiosity um <laughs> brian you're fucking rad and if you would like us to do a little plug promotion of anything you were on or waxing your car and, of course, giving you access to some excellent content. Come on over and join our film family by heading over to patreon.com slash Nightmare Junkhead. And, in fact, here next Monday, uh, if you're on the Another Time tier, you're going to be getting our Black Christmas commentary. Hello. 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 <laughs> over that under, was fun. That was a lot of that fun. That was a fun, fun episode. I'm glad we had a chance to talk that. But, again, a number of things that are available there. So We're head get on over. Snackered. Oh, we're, you're going to get snackered all right. <laughs> Between the hidden hooch and all of the hellos, <laughs> you'll be able to put quite uh, a drinking game together. So come on over, join the film family, especially this time of the year. Now, speaking of this time of the year, we are here in the month of December, which we've devoted to death. December. And we all, got a death curse. I'm glad we do. Me too. Number one, it was nice to be able to talk Tarantino last week, mm-hmm. which is something you don't really get to do a lot on a horror podcast. And was this a first time? Oh, this one was a first time. Hot damn! Yes, that's why I specifically wanted to include this within the movies we were, movies we were watching this month. Um, number one, I'm a fan of the filmmaker. Mm-hmm. 
Number two, I'm a fan of the people that are in the film. Oh, yeah. And number three, it had death in the title. Right. So it's like perfect. Check, check, check. Perfect. But before we specifically talk Death Becomes Her, I want to be able to... I'm, I'm excited because much like talking Tarantino last week, this week we get to talk about a filmmaker that we rarely get to talk about on the show. Right. And that is Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, it's it's weird. We don't get well, to talk to him about him on the show. But looking back on what he's done... Well, it's you know, well, it's he's done. I mean, he's not really someone that you think of when it comes to the horror genre. No. And even Death Becomes Her could be seen as horror adjacent. I mean, purely it's a horror film for me, but it's a horror comedy. Yeah, first but, and foremost. But it's weird because Zemeckis on the producing side. Oh man, he's he. Like I said, we should have been talking about him for a while because like he has produced a lot of good horror. I, like, I think Ghost House was his own horror production company. It would make sense, especially with his sensibilities, because he, a lot of his movies usually are mirthful. There's some mayhem involved. Um, they're fun, though. But he's also been one of those people that's always been trying to be on the cutting edge of technology mm-hmm. and what you can do with films. And it's funny, because if you go to his directorial debut and talking about connective tissue... Kurt Russell in last uh, last week's Death Proof stars in Robert Zemeckis' uh, directorial debut. Used Cars is such a funny, funny movie. And Goldie Hawn. And go- no, she's but, not, no, not. But Kurt Russell, but, Goldie oh, Hawn. Oh, oh, believe the whole weird. But and a lot of connective tissue. But Garrett Graham's in Used Cars is great as and like you add beef to anything, it makes it better. That was the first time watching when we watched it over at Your Place, and yep. that was such a fun, fun movie. Shout Factory put out a Blu-ray of it, and I'm glad the movie's getting some traction because it's not a a genre breaking or rule bending comedy, but it's an early '80s kind of sleazy comedy where Kurt Russell, within this those last those years, he was in like Escape from New York. I mean, he was truly breaking out of his Disney shell mm-hmm. and showing, no, I can make a boner jam. I can do genre. I'm gonna make a great. I'm gonna make Greg Dedrick fall in love with me. And in Used Cars, uh, he plays sleazy and slimy, and but does he it with plays that it so well. But it's with the Russell charm. Yeah, and I, you know me, I love me some Russell. So yeah, Used Cars is incredible. But it also, it sets some of the chaos in mind as well that you get with Zemeckis. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's a lot like if Joe Dante yeah. is the Mad Capri of like say the Tex Avery cartoons, uh, Robert Zemeckis is the Mad Capri of the Warner Brothers cartoons, where it's still cartoony and cartoony mm-hmm. logic. It's just not as overtly no. Mad Cap and wild as Dante. Um, and that's what I like. He has a lot. He has a very funny sensibility, a very cartoon-like aesthetic, and he likes to take the ordinary, like Dante, and just throw some mad chaos into it. Well, you talk about animated. Uh, he's responsible for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh yeah, which I, just a just an amazing movie, just in terms of the the camera work, the animation. Mm-hmm. Bob Hoskins is amazing in it. And he knows horror because how scary is Judge Dre- or Judge Doom in that? Oh, The Dip? Yeah. That stuff, that's that horror, Jason. That's that stuff, the gate, the gateway horror, that it's not a horror film. But it totally could be. Completely, because it's the little elements like that. And when the solve is the animation, it makes it easier as a kid to take it in. Because I guarantee you that. Uh, Large Marge. Those are the kind of moments. Superman 3. Those are the moments in movies that aren't horror, but they give you that gateway, and you either go, you know what? I don't like this, or, or, ooh, I love this. Yep, I'm going to continue to pursue it. And Who Framed Roger Rabbit did that. Uh, he's resp- 
He did Romancing the Stone. Yeah, he did. With Danny DeVito. Darn right. Which, and uh, John Wilder, who is one of my favorite all-time, like, mystery writers that don't exist. And I haven't watched that movie since I probably watched it on HBO, so I remember it fondly. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to go back and revisit it, especially based on my interaction with Death Becomes Her and All Through the House, which I watched recently. Um, but another one, on top of everything else, he's responsible for the Back to the Future trilogy. Oh, yeah. All of them. Which is arguably one of the trilogies of all time when it comes to cinema. That is a movie, a trilogy that is beloved by so many people. Mm-hmm. So his filmography has many highs, but it also has some interesting... There's a couple of dippers Because I'll say this. I saw Beowulf in the theater, and I saw it in 3D. I saw Beowulf in 3D, too. Did you? I did. I was buying the hype. Me, too. And I did not see Polar Express in 3D. I saw Polar Express not in 3D. I enjoyed Polar Express, but it's creepy. All that weird CGI and the Beowulf was creepy. And then like, well, the motion cap, Angelina Jolie and the and then and like CGI, Crispin Glover, that. Yeah. It's, it's Uncanny Valley, the motion picture. I mean, and his again, his heart is in the right place because he's looking to something new something yes. to expand technology and tell different more stories because he's him and spielberg like with amazing stories and all all that shit he's all about telling these stories he's the fucking producer of tales from the crypt so he's about he's about wanting to get as much stories out there and let's talk a little bit about tales from the crypt because oh my goodness you want to talk about that's if i were to think elements of your personality and there are certain episodes of that that i think this is a little bit of genius that's a little bit of genius but the overall tone of the of the of the show, the fact that there's basically all these little cautionary tales, it's it's Twilight Zone for the horror fans. Yeah, yeah. And they were phenomenal. All of them. All and, of them. Oh, and it's so wonderful to go back to them because you see so many different actors popping yeah. up and so many different styles and different storytellers mm-hmm. and different types of the horror and comedy and and like pathos yeah. and like all this stuff. Tales from the Crypt was a phenomenal show. Well, in the pilot episode, I had a chance to rewatch. Um, Perfect for Christmas. Oh, it holds up. Because number one, do you know who uh, Mary Ellen Trainer kills in that one to set everything off? John Larroquette. It is not. Marshall Bell? Marshall Bell. Get the fuck out of town. It's Marshall Bell. Does she kill him by snapping towels to death? <laughs> and then Dean Cundy shoots it. Of course. And then you got Larry Drake being the quintessential creepy Santa Claus. Wow. Is he not like what you feel, wow. what you see when you think of a creepy killer Santa Claus? Yes. Fucking him. Gnarled teeth, greasy, dirty beard. Between his turn in this and Durant and Darkman. He's he, phenomenal. He distanced himself from Benny. And Dr. Giggles. I, I've seen that. Oh, dude, you need to watch it. I okay. watched it. I watched it last year. I... we. Medical oh. horror is going to be one of our months next year. Okay, that is good. That is good then. I'm anxious to see that. But needless to say, the horror hits, the humor hits, and it's deftly balanced. Mm-hmm. All within a perfect pilot episode that sets the tone for Tales from the Crypt. And it's all because it's a mechas. I mean, yeah. everything that... But also... And it's a great 
Christmas horror. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it's, like, just it's it's per- a perfect Christmas horror. Like you said, it's funny, it's short, it's got levity, it's got gore, it's got genuine scares. Mm-hmm. It's phenomenal. And it's got your Joel Silver players, your Zemeckis players. It's all these things. It's this giant, wonderful sandbox. And I love it when he would let then all these people come in and play in it. Mm-hmm. And then you'd get all these different directors coming in. Like I said, that is a tr- just a treasure trove of just riches within the series, which then leads us to Death Becomes Her because as we talked a little bit about, it was originally planned as... A Tales from the Crypt movie. There's like, an episode. Just It was going to be an episode, but then like, hey, let's flush it out. And then they were going to make a movie. Um, the, they, they wanted to have a whole Tales from the Crypt cinematic universe and they started it mm-hmm. and they have three movies out there with uh, Bordello of Blood, Demon Knight and Ritual but they wanted to do more in fact this one was going to be one should have been The Frighteners was going to be one and From Dusk Till Dawn was going to be one and I can totally see that the aesthetics working within each other because there's a little bit of Mad Capri involved in all uh, of them yeah there's ho- definite horror and when it hits it hits but they're all fun as well mm-hmm. that's the thing and that's to me, is the driving force behind Zemeckis. Is when he's having fun, I think the movies work. Yeah. When he's being a little bit more serious, then uh, maybe not as much potentially. But coming into this movie, I knew all about it, number one, based on trailers, based on just my knowledge of Zemeckis. But for some reason, it took me till the year of 2020 to finally see Death Becomes Her. I saw this at the Glenwood. Ooh, oh my goodness, the now sadly defunct land. You were classing it up that day, my friend. We were out and about, and I it, it was great. I, I wanted to see it because, one, I was already a fan of Tales from the Crypt mm-hmm. when it was already out, and the fact that like in the trailer it had Tales from the Crypt music and the fact that I knew it was going to be a Tales from the I'm like, well, then I'm fucking sold. Wait, so it did have the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Okay. I so, got to watch the trailer no, now. No, yeah. You, not only do you have to watch the trailer because it has a Tales from the Crypt episode, but it also has deleted scenes in the trailer. There's there's a whole subplot with Tracy Ullman. She is in this movie. She plays um, the the future wife of Bruce um, Willis. Bruce Willis. Really, the widower then technically mm-hmm. that the, the widower at the end. Yeah, she, it's Tracy Ullman, and so really? like, there's like, like three or four scenes. No, wait, so then was Young Genius then looking for that when he went to the theater? No, Young okay. Genius was just excited what he got, but now Old <laughs> Genius, fan, fan of Tracy Ullman, wants to see what could have happened. There's even more deleted scenes in there. There's a scene where, um, and they show a little bit of it in the trailer, which is weird, but. Uh, if you go online, you can see the whole scene of it. But the maid goes, it's one day the maid walks into the kitchen, opens the door, and there's Meryl Streep. She's like, close the door, right? And like, I'm trying, and she freaks out. And they try, and they see Bruce Willis trying to pull Meryl Streep up. And she goes, I'm sweating. It's, I, I just feel so moist. I'm sweating. He goes, no, honey, you're defrosting. And they're trying to like get her <laughs> up the stairs to like fix her. So like, there's, and then there's a whole, there's like four or five different scenes. Well, that are gone, but they're in the trailer. That's well, and that's not unusual, I would say, just because that happens all the time now where they're shooting stuff. But uh, I know uh, Scream Factory did put out a Blu ray of this recently, and I'm going to pick it up based on this viewing. Uh, It was streaming on HBO Max. Mm -hmm. I need to know the behind the scenes stuff for this because one of the things that was a standout number one is Bruce Willis acting. Yeah. Which I had forgotten what that's about and what that's like, and he's genuinely funny. He's playing Rick Moranis. It's so good. It's what he's he's Doctor Frankenstein in yeah. many ways. Um, you know, it was originally going to be Kevin Klein. I 
would actually go with that as well. I would too. And I can I see could that. See, I can see Kevin Klein doing it. But I'm glad Bruce Willis. I am too. It's it's good to see Bruce Willis not be Bruce Willis. Yes. Ever since like Die Hard with the Vengeance, Bruce Willis has always been Bruce Willis. He's never been anybody. He's not playing anything. Anything different. else. He's always been Bruce Willis. But to see him like this nebbish like. Uh, scared alcoholic oh yeah wonderful it's really good he plays it well and it was against type at that point because he was just becoming kind of a bigger uh not only an action star but a movie star mm-hmm. uh, the fact that finally here on the show we can talk the dingo ain't hey, my baby. baby right we never talk about meryl streep's and baby eating dingoes Meryl Streep, one of the great actors of our generation. Yeah. Of course, we never get to talk about her on a horror podcast. <laughs> when are we going to do the Silkwood podcast? You know, when exactly. Are, uh, it's it's <laughs> seriously, seriously. She is responsible for some of the most. I, I mean, in 1979, we would talk the brood uh-huh. for a divorce film, but the normies they got Meryl Streep and Kramer, Kramer versus, versus Kramer, Kramer, right? Right, right. But. I'm so glad to be able to talk with she's a freaking treasure and she is ridiculously good in this movie. She is hilarious in this. She needs to do more comedies because her comic timing in this movie and in another one of my favorite this one is my favorite Meryl Street movie as well as She Devil. Um I is that with Roseanne and, and Ed Egg Begley Jr. I love that movie so much and she is fantastic in that one and fantastic in this one. is she the put upon is she the put upon housewife in that or is she no the... she's she's the rich one that okay. steals that Bailey okay. jr well she's got a type then in yeah. the comedies mm-hmm. and she plays it so well in both the movies she did great in this playing that like two-faced vindictive but when she gets pricked I lost it. I lost it. She did so funny in this. <laughs> well, the, she's allowed to go to 11 in this movie, and it's fun to watch a very serious actor be able to do that on top of all the crazy effects work that they're doing in this film as well. Well, you know she hated it. I, she hated She hated working on this movie She uh, all because the, all the prosthetics, yep. and she felt like... She felt like everything was going to take away from her natural acting ability, and she goes, oh, and she never, she goes after this. She never wants to do another visual effect, and she never has done another he- visual heavy effect. There's a great behind the scenes photo of her where she's wearing this green hood for you know the green screen, the mask, and there's like her family's behind her because that, that's the day they came for a set visit is like the day that she's doing all the headless work, <laughs> and it just goes to show you though that the level of precision, especially back then when this technology was new, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm watching it, you know, 20, 30, almost 30 years later, 28 years later. To me, it still held up. It still holds up very well. And I, it was groundbreaking when it came out. I remember, like, thinking, like, holy shit, she really does have a hole in the body. And that's the, when that moment hits. It's a great combination of practical work with just the water that comes out, which I yes. loved. Yes. Because that was the tangible. And then when you get the nice reveal, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. What I wasn't expecting, however, a lot of the stuff I knew, you know, obviously of the zombie, My Fair Lady, all the great special effects. I wasn't anticipating Goldie Hawn in a fat suit in this movie. It's hilarious. With all the cats. I kind of felt called out. (laughs) I ain't even going to lie. I felt personally attacked when they like, hey, I'm just the can of frosting away from being fucking Goldie Hawn, right? Non-dairy frosting. Non-dairy frosting. She's tearing that frosting up, though. And all the cats in the fat suit, I kind of laugh and I was like, right? 
what got Fortunately, me though. I'm not fueled by vengeance on one person at least. So it's like, yeah, I'm fueled by vengeance, but not on anybody in particular. So like, multiple, you know, multiple, just a wide swath of people. But like, no, I was like, not funny movie, right? The baggage we bring, my friends. And they're like, what do you want to talk about? I want to talk about Helen. Ah! Everybody in the everybody in the insane asylum all pissed off and crazy. It's so that's the thing. I didn't know how much fun I would have with this movie and how funny it truly is from start to finish. Yeah. But the fact that it's also taken on taken on a very serious issue in Hollywood, in life in general, is the fact that how we are just so easily discarded the older we get and mm-hmm. how much value. The, the, our, the, the surface of things takes in. Yeah, and we what we would do to, to remain relevant and oh youthful boy. and all that shit. Man, an, another tie to Death Proof and Stuntman Mike and the relevancy and you know that feeling of isolation and what happens and the links you will go to to hold on to every little bit and piece right? that you can. Oh my goodness. Well, I don't know. If I was on a quest for eternal life and it led me to Isabella Rossellini, I might stay on that path. Well, that and all of her mimbos that she is surrounded with, which <laughs> killed me. But yes, 1992 Isabella Rossellini. I don't want to get creeps and nostalgia Dressed in here. necklaces and sarongs? It's unreal. It is unreal. And I have, I have adored that woman. In fact... On my Mount Rushmore of like man crushes, you know, there's there's Patrick Swayze and Kurt Russell. I think she's up there for me on my 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 women yeah. Mount Rushmore of crushes, man, because she plays very sexy, uh-huh. you know, but she's got great comedic timing, and also you're you're just chomping at the bit here because of a little. Uh, um, Isabella adjacent material. She's going to teach you all about the love making of animals, and it's going to be really, really fucking weird. So, for anyone that's like, "What are you talking about, genius?" Give a little context with that. She has this nature show about the sex lives of animals, where she'll like dress like animals and kind of recreate and like say all these weird sexual facts. The snail has a fourteen-inch long penis. If you're supposed to be compared to a human, it would be three feet long. And you're just like, what the fuck? And she's there dressed up as a snail and just like kind of slithering. Or like, today we'll be talking about the lovemaking of the lobster. You know, and you're like, fuck! Does she ever go into the proclivities of making love with Frank Booth? <laughs> you, you do not look at him. Don't you look at, don't you look at him! Go on, Frankie. Go on, Frankie. It's she's so weird, but and, she's so like alluring. But, well, and that's again 1992. Her in this vision, I'm I'm taken in with her. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, for me, not a deal breaker, not a deal breaker at all. But she she has that air of sinisterness. It well, was just wonderful. Oh no, she plays it. She plays. She knows the kind of movie she's in, and that's why I've always enjoyed her work. And going from anyone from David Lynch to Robert Zemeckis. To the world of 30 Rock, she exists as someone that loves Arby's. She loves her big beef and cheddar. And her delivering the lines of, you know I love my big beef and cheddar. It's wonderful. And that's why I love her. She was great. Uh, her The way she interacted with um, Meryl Streep. I think my two favorite lines in this whole entire fucking movie was one when she gets pricked. Yeah. You go, ah! And then she goes, and now a warning. Now a warning? I cracked up because I would have that exact same react. Now you tell me. 
And then like, but it's Meryl Streep being goofy and you can't help but love it. No, it is so good. And that's just it. The comedic timing in this is crazy on top of the special effects work and they're balanced. Industrial light and magic right before Jurassic Park. If it wasn't for this movie, we wouldn't have Jurassic Park. And that's wild to think. Yeah. The fact that they really probably worked a lot of stuff out like this was basically them almost workshopping the technology Mm -hmm. to get to Jurassic Park. So that in and itself Death Becomes Her deserves, like, the love. Because without that... And it's funny, because Dean Cundy shot both films, um, Death Becomes Her and Jurassic Park, which lends to the fact that he is the man to shoot your film that contain a lot of effects work. Yeah. And that's what I love about him. From practical to digital, he is he's just that guy that makes your movie so much more magical. Because the screen is filled. Oh, I mean, the shots everything. are filled. And even if there's, like, little jokes and shit in the middle of it or like like scenes of gore oh yeah like like for example you're when they're talking about the killing uh, the the plan of they're gonna kill helen and they're thinking about it if you notice there's a brain on the desk that says abnormal on it and you're just like "Ah, right and just just it's just funny and like you said dean cundy is makes some beautiful shots because that whole gothic castle that Isabella Rosalini lives in, and oh, yeah. that weird dark mansion that fucking Meryl Streep lives in. It felt like an old school horror movie, I, and that screams Zemeckis too. Oh god, yeah! And I just recently watched Fall of the House of Usher, so I had that kind of feel already going on with the production design and the costuming, and even the practical effects. I thought they were great, like like the the whole like squished in and the the body parts falling. Did you know that um, actually Meryl Streep hit? Goldie Hawn with the shovel and left a scar on her face? I would have, too, because I would have said, uh, make room for me because, uh, you know, you're in my way of Kurt Russell. Russell. <laughs> we're, we're this many minutes in. We got to talk Goldie Hawn. She is so good in this movie. She's hilarious. Fat suit and all. I, I have loved her probably since I watched him in a movie that's a little problematic nowadays. But like Wildcats. Ha. It's the sport of kings. Better than diamond rings. No, um... <laughs> Overboard. <laughs> Just yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. And you, <laughs> you can't help but be just won by Russell's charm. But the fact that it's basically Stockholm syndrome, the movie, it's like, what are we doing here? Like, mm-hmm. but Goldie Hawn sells it, and she she is a comedic just gem. Yeah, she from Rowan and Martin back in the day. Knowing how to capitalize on her look and the personality to what she's doing here, and I think she was in her forties when she made this movie. And again, she's she's great. I mean, not to be creeps and nostalgia too late, but ain't gonna lie, undead zombie Goldie Hawn, not a deal breaker. Even post hole, uh, even post hole, especially especially post hole. I mean, like more so deal sealer. That's what that is. But no, when she when she comes out of the water and she's got her undead eyes and she's kind of got the pale skin, I was like, "You're like that hot goth girlfriend," you know. It's like I ain't even gonna lie, I'm here for that. It's in the eyes. I will admit, the eyes got me at that point. It's always the eyes. There's something about that. But the fact that, like I said, they're they're talking about this very serious issue throughout the film of Hollywood and aging and how. I think it's the First Wives Club, another uh, Goldie Hawn flick, where it's just like, you know, there's three ages for women in Hollywood. It's like, you know, the babe, the mom. The ingenue and the, yes, the, yeah. Driving Miss Daisy, basically. And it's so true. And yeah. it's to be able to tackle this in a very satirical way, in a very 
cautionary tale way in a very Tales from the Crypt kind of way. Especially in the 90s. Yeah. Oh, especially you know, in the 90s. Another time, another place type thing. Because, like, yeah, this dealt with a lot of, like, like the aging and the, the just disposableness of people in the industry. Not even in the Hollywood industry, just but just, in, like, and the disposableness, like, they talked about, like, how they just wanted to use Bruce Willis just to fix him. for oh. They don't care about him. They just wanted his, like, Talents. Well, the fact that his talents go from initially the plastic surgery to Undertaker. Yes, and my mouth is dry. <laughs> he portraying a Cretan pretty well, I guess potentially. <laughs> but the fact that his 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 medium changes. But the fact and- when they showed him in his first in his day at the at the Undertaker, and it's that whole joke like, yeah, this guy was making love with his eighteen year old girlfriend, and he's just sitting there. He's got that grid. It's it's fun. It's, it's fun. Funny. It's there's there's always humor and death. And then when they're like, "Well, what's your scene?" with they're like, "Are you the doctor who fi- you did such a good job of my aunt? You made her look so real." Yeah, it's just spray paint. I just went to the thing and I figured. And the, the woman's ears like, <gasps> "Ancient Chinese secret, huh?" You never want to reveal the and it, that you're using fucking Earl Shine on like. <laughs> Well, and this this is where his his work with the ladies actually it did make me feel again Doctor Frankenstein, Doctor Herbert West. This was almost like a Hollywood family friendly version of a Reanimator, mm-hmm. just in terms of a doctor that is kind of seeking to lengthen potentially, but also being under the, the constant watch of people being manipulated. Yeah, and I actually kind of felt bad for him. Oh, I his felt character. bad for him the whole fucking time. The fact that he was just this plaything. Between the two women, you know, just to show off and see who can take. And mm-hmm. oh. they never gave a shit about him. It is for the greater good. It is for the greater good. And like, and that's another thing. Like, what we would do to stay young and who we step on in our quest to be beautiful mm-hmm. forever. And it's it's fucked up, you know? That's why uh, we're podcasters, my friend. Right? That I, fe- I totally felt bad for... Um, Bruce Willis, because he was put in this scenario that he has no control over, no clue. The fact that he thinks it's a miracle, and then like he's like, "Oh shit!" But at the same time, good for him. And she was like, "What are you gonna? You know, aren't you gonna fucking help me?" And he's like, "Boop." I was like, "The okay, multiple the multiple falling down the stairs sequences that just." Go extended, on and yes. on and on and on and on. Mwah, chef's yeah. kiss with it's that. It's so funny. It's wonderful. And I, I would almost think like Hitchcock psycho homages just in terms of the way they're shot. And But just multiple but with times Bugs of Bunny. the beatery. Yeah, it's both Hitchcock and Looney Tunes <laughs> yes. homages. Well, you, you already mentioned the fact that Joe Dante and Sam Raimi, I could feel they could give us different takes on a film like this, but very similar as well, though, because the template is there. Mm-hmm. But whatever kind of unique aesthetic you're going to bring i think it would have worked well with both of them yeah but i think with zemeckis you get more money yeah you get ilm involved absolutely and like you said it becomes a stepping stone into so many other wonderful things well and then the fact that he's already steeped because he's already about two years into tales from the crypt at this point yep so he's like well i know horror and he does he knows great horror i mean like even after this his production company i think it was ghost house or Mm -hmm. ghost pictures and they produced the house of wax remake they produced house on haunted hill remake 13 ghosts remake Uh, so i know i finally saw 13 ghosts last year Uh, i liked it uh, house on haunted hill remake i like and um the first one, House of Wax. Yes, I have. I've seen that, but I've heard good things about it. It's all right. 
Okay. I, I out okay. of all those three, my favorite's Thirteen Ghosts. Okay, but... that's fair. That's fair. But not a bad pedigree in terms of remakes. Mm-hmm. Not at all. But I think that comes from a place of love. Yeah. Because he does have those that horror and genre sensibility. Yes, and the mirth involved, especially like House on Haunted Hill. Mm-hmm. I finally saw the original last year for the first time with Vincent Price. Yeah. So much fun. He also produced Monster House, which you need to fucking see. You've been trying it for many years now. I I will eventually get to that. Monster one. House is dope. You shan't be disappointed. Okay, it's no, super, that it feels Zemeckis. Does it? Yeah. And that's what I like is I think Zemeckis does have a feel, mm-hmm. and it might be harder to describe. Although there's a lot of action. I mean, like even though there's not might not be big action set pieces, there's always that like very actiony feel to it even like in this one they're running through ledges and they're falling off cliffs and they're fucking about to fall into pools and scaffolding and shit there's a lot of action in this horror oh the, the shotgun blast of which we get the initial flies wonderful <laughs> it's did you giggle i giggled a lot just <laughs> into the pool i was like <laughs> and which leads to the reveal it's just i like i said everything's pretty deftly balanced the narrative never felt like it hit a lull. Mm-mm. Like they just they kept pushing forward, which I really enjoyed. Even the when the characters that would come in for a brief minute and then would go were still great. The doctor, Sidney mm-hmm. Pollock. Oh God, fucking hilarious! And he's this, like, "That doesn't hurt. Are you not feeling this that? This doesn't hurt." And he's sitting there taking his pills. He's like, "I'll be right back." And then you see him. He fucking had a heart attack in the middle of the thing, and I was like, "That's dark," but that's. It's funny. hilarious. It's like that's the thing. Zemeckis <laughs> Zemeckis takes something that's incredibly dark and makes it very humorous and finds the humorous thing about it. And like because living forever and getting shot and like all this stuff technically is not a very funny subject. No. It's got very real dark ramifications and implications. Like even Bruce Willis says, "Why would I want to see everybody that I live die? Yep. Why would I want to live forever to be your guys' servant? That's stupid." And like all that shit, that's dark, heavy, heavy shit. Meanwhile, you have like, you have Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn beating the shit out of each other with shovels, right? That's the fight I didn't know I needed. And then on top of the fact that they are just wailing on each other and causing this damage, it's spectacular. And the fact that it ends on a joke, and even the point where like even they're all in pieces, the hand is still going. That and the little bit when Goldie falls into the couch and then the shovel sticks through her and it's just no big thing. Yeah, she's just sitting there. Hey, meanwhile, uh, a big ass shovel handle. It's so it's char- it's almost charming in a way, and that's what I guess I was. I shouldn't say shocked by the viewing of the film because I knew I would probably have a good time, but I didn't realize how funny it would be. Just not really realizing that it was the stepstone to Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. The realization that Dean Cundy shot it, like all the Mary Ellen Trainer showing up, which right. for me that cements that's going to be a good time. But it's it's funny because it's not like, <laughs> oh no no, it's, it's not. It's never winking funny. It's just genuinely like that's that's dark. <laughs> well, and even the ending, which I love, love the fact that when Bruce Willis finally separates himself from them, he betters his life. In such a grand way. Six kids, he's, 18 grandkids. Philanth- he's a full-on phil- rapist. He's a, yeah. And like all... S- <laughs> uh, the, but they had like four or five different endings, and they shot two or three of them. One of was where um, 
they're escaping from the um, the uh, Isabella Rosalini's mansion, mm-hmm. and they're both in a car, and they chase him, but they go off of the cliff, and they come back like charred skeletons, all pissed off at each other. That's pretty good. Um, there's another one where um, they go try and find Bruce Willis. But he was married. He winds up being married to Tracy Ullman. Okay. And there's a whole Tracy Ullman subplot in there at the end, mm-hmm. and that never got shot. Um, they had another one where um, they actually win, and they wind up Bruce Willis, and he's like, and it shows. So there's like four or five different endings, but they decided to go out with the punchline, and I think that's the better ending. It's so cynical and dark, and it. Much like uh, we just recently watched All the Creatures Were Stirring and how it basically ends with like a guffaw. Basically the same thing here. It yeah. is so wonderful. Just the way everything works from them scoffing at the very end. When they, when she laughed and like oh. that is the secret to eternal yeah. life. She's like, ha, ha, ha. And then they just walk out and everyone's like, what the fuck? And they're just talking shit the whole, the whole time. time. Like, how did you leave a can of spray paint? How did you not? So funny, so funny. The, to then end then with again another stair gag and then just the full collapse and the fact that they're just oh. hideous shells of their former self, just lacquered on. All about just, Eve, right there. Yeah, it, is. <laughs> it totally is all about Eve. Like fucking, it's whatever happened to Baby Jane the movie part two? You know, so it's <laughs> the continue. The legend continues. <laughs> it's so so ridiculously funny because they're just so grotesque, but they're just so in line with each other and knowing, yeah, we're stuck with each other. Yeah, whether we we're in pieces or together. <laughs> it, like I said, I'm going to be buying the Blu-ray for this, and it will become one that I'm going to have to introduce some people to because. I'm a Zemeckis fan, but I never found my way to this movie. I'm really surprised it took you this long to see this movie. Well, and there's a reason we'll program things specifically, but I wanted to make sure I did check this out because yeah. it's I, great. Yeah, no, it is beyond wonderful. So I, you know, final thoughts here on Death Becomes Her. Do we have everything on your list there, my friend? Um, yes. Siskel and Eber hated this movie. They <sighs> They came out saying it was... Like all spectacle, no story. That they said the effects were bad. They said the wow. story was bad. They said that the jokes didn't land. They said there was no heart and the humor. Basically, the exact opposite of everything we've just said. I'm just gonna say they said that. Now it was just like fuck. In that case, it made a little bit of money, but of course not nearly enough to really. And that kind of stopped the movies of Tales from the Crypt for a little mm-hmm. bit until like. 95 and Demon Knight yep. came out and all that kind of stuff. So. And then sadly, Bordello of Blood. Now, you said one ritual? Ritual. Mm-hmm. I have not seen that one. It's a Tim Curry uh, Haitian voodoo zombie movie. Really? Yes. Is it worth seeing? It's not bad. Okay. It's no Demon Knight, but it's no Bordello of Blood. So that You know what? I bought the Blu-ray of Bordello of Blood for the behind-the-scenes feature that they put together mm-hmm. because everyone is very honest about the making of that movie, and apparently it was hell. Like, Dennis Miller... Was not a good individual. That's right, Cha Cha. <laughs> no, apparently Chooch, he wasn't a good guy. But to go back to Boutros, Boutros, golly. <laughs> but everyone is very honest. It's, it's so it's an entertaining making of, probably more so than the movie itself. Mm-hmm. But I own both of them on Scream Factory because they're wonderful. D- Demon Knight Demon is great. Yeah. Demon Knight is fantastic. Um, but this, to me, even though it's technically not, it, it feels yeah. like the quintessential Tales from the Crypt movie. And I. 
see it as a Tales from the Crypt movie. Now, I'm not going to ask you to improvise here, but if the Crypt Keeper was opening up the movie like this, what what pun would he throw out? Because that's the one thing that <laughs> was I forgot about. I didn't necessarily forget about when I was watching... Um, all through the well, house. kitties, it seems like their eternal life's not all what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> At the end when they're... That's that's actually pretty good. I think that's a strong way to close. <laughs> so until next week when we pursue another title with death in it. Ooh, next one! Yes! And we are going to be technically doing a double feature as it turns out. It's a Megalodon. Not quite that one, but until that time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we will see you in your dreams. <laughs> <laughs>